Oh, what a day. What a lovely day. My name is Sean. My world is fire and blood and movies. And this is the rewatchables Mad Max Fury Road. War boys. <laughs> it is by my hand. You arise. From the ashes of this world. I want them back! They're my property! Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! I am joined today by the ringers Chris Ryan, Jason Concepcion, and Micah Peters, and we are talking about maybe, maybe, maybe the best action movie of the decade, a topic which we will discuss in this episode. Fury Road is directed by George Miller. It's the fourth installment in the then 70-year-old Miller's Australian apocalyptic action series, which launched 36 years earlier with the original Mad Max starring Mel Gibson. In this movie, here's a very brief plot description for you guys. Mad Max is caught up with a group of people fleeing across the wasteland in a war rig driven by the Imperator Furiosa. This movie is an account of the road war which follows. It is based on the word burgers of the history men and eyewitness accounts of those who survived. Fury Road was released in the summer of 2015, a full 30 years since the most recent sequel, 1985's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and it was instantly hailed as an action masterpiece. Fury Road stars an almost entirely new cast, including Tom Hardy as Max Rokitansky, Charlize Theron as Imperator Furiosa, Nicholas Holt as Nux, and returning to the fold is Hugh Keyes Byrne, this time as a different character, the villainous Immortan Joe. This movie has a 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's low. <laughs> it grossed $378 million worldwide. Few more tidbits for you guys before we get started. It was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. It won six of them, essentially sweeping the technical categories. Of the eight Best Picture nominees at the 2016 Academy Awards, Fury Road is the only one to not receive a single acting nomination. Of the movie, New York Times critic A.O. Scott wrote, The script, which Mr. Miller wrote with Brendan McCarthy and Nico Lathoris, has been whittled almost clean of expository dialogue and touchy-feely bourgeois. A cut or a pan can explain or express much more than words. When Fury Road reaches for emotional grandeur, it relies on the faces of its cast. Miss Theron can be a silent movie heroine despite the noise that surrounds her, and on Junkie XL's superb full-throated score... When it wants to crack jokes, the movie reaches for quick, profane sight gags or elaborate feats of Newtonian improbability. Guys, Mad Max Fury Road. Give me your first impressions of this movie when you first saw it. Yeah, Chris? You, uh, everything you said is very interesting, and the, the verbiage we attach to this movie and the ways in which we can discuss it on these sort of intellectual and film school levels is great. I use two words to describe this movie. A chase. It is primal. It is, it, I, you can watch this movie... And have no idea about the mythology of the Wasteland or Max or any of the prequel or any of the previous films. And it is just about up there with French Connection and Ronin as my favorite car chase movie of all time. And that's just that's just a thing that almost you can't articulate. I don't know why it is that I like watching one car chasing another. I don't know why that's so cool to see in a movie screen, but it is. It's funny that you should say that because it will not surprise you to know that I have not watched a single one of the the earlier movies. <laughs> uh, is this your first chase movie, Micah? This is my first chase movie. Fresh Micah's first chase movie. <laughs> no, this is I the 
everything blows up, and I, I can't think of a, I can't think of another movie in which the plot is so inessential, and I am overfull and can watch this movie any number of times and not get tired of it. Jason, I know you've seen those chase movies Chris outlined. What was your reaction oh. when you saw Fury Road? I was just blown back in my seat. Um, the right after the sand, they ride into the sandstorm and everything hits and goes black. You know, the car pinwheeling up into the air and the sand tornado. Uh, screen goes black and there is an audible just whew, exhalation <laughs> in the theater. And that's just, that's an experience that you can only get in a movie theater. And that that kind of movie can give you is just spectacle in a way that is life affirming and takes your breath away. Yeah, and, maybe when we talk about most rewatchable scene, we can talk about basically that 33 minute stretch yeah. right that leads to the moment that Jason is talking about, mm. which is probably the most breakneck sequence in movie history. I think any any rewatchable scene from this movie is going to be like an 18 minute sequence because yeah. it's essentially a six scene movie or something like that. And you know, I think another thing that's worth mentioning in terms of the rewatchability of this movie which I I watched last night as I, I tried to do before these is the fact that it still is probably at the pinnacle of, of visual effects in movies, and it, mm-hmm. it basically was uh, this dissertation on all the tricks and all the mm-hmm. things that Miller probably knew how to do in the 80s with practical effects and everything that's happened since then with post-production effects that you can do digitally to correct things. And if there's like some incredible stuff online that you can see of the car chases before they were treated. You can watch like YouTubes of like them shooting and it's it's you know obviously a lot is done to it but for the most part those cars are there and they are yeah. driving pretty fast and those guys are in the cars driving those cars mm-hmm. and they're hitting each other and they're like flipping them and they're riding the bikes off of the mounds and this is this is pure physical visceral filmmaking. 7 month shoot finished filming in December of 2012. 470 hours of footage. It cost $250 million to make. And it took two plus years to edit and put together. And there's more than 1,200 visual effect shots to go along with mm-hmm. all the crazy practical stuff that you're talking about. So it's basically one of the most difficult movies to make mm-hmm. in the history of movies. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking a little bit about Mad Max when I was watching it too and thinking about how it really doesn't have anything to do with the Mad Max story to me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do you yeah. guys, yeah. like, are you Mad Max heads? Were you thinking about the mythology heading into it? Because there, there were obviously three films that came before this. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty big Road Warrior fan. Like, I, I that movie really Road peeled incredible. my cap back when I saw yes. it. And I, I'd never seen anything like that. That kind of mythology torn from whole cloth and just been like, this isn't Star Wars. This isn't something that you kind of know about. And the that that's right on the edge of where exploitation movies become prestige movies. You know, the first film, I think, in some ways, there's a couple of sliding doors, and that's just like Vanishing Point. It's like a movie that they show at New Beverly at midnight, but not. (laughs) It doesn't wind up being like something that births a billion-dollar franchise and makes Mel Gibson a global superstar. It's just like a cult movie that, like, ever see that movie where the guy gets like, his cape run over and then he chases people through Australia all day. It's awesome. You know, it's like that would basically be what Mad Max is. And then Road Warrior makes it into, uh, I think, this this epic tale of post-apocalyptic, dystopian, gas-guzzling, uh, Metal Gear Solid craziness. Yeah, I, Road Warrior really uh, 
changed my life <laughs> in terms of uh, dystopian um, movie making. Like, just I, I'd never engaged with a story quite like that, and also uh, just a really cool story. The cynicism, like underneath it, where it's like. Uh, you do something, Mad Max finally does something good for other people and then he gets screwed in the end. It's yeah. just a great turn. I actually saw a, a Beyond Thunderdome in the Philippines and uh, I was thinking about something you just said, Chris, about how you really just don't, you don't need to any, you don't need to understand what's happening to mm -hmm. understand what's happening because the visual storytelling is so strong. I watched it with a guy who didn't speak any English and we, and he was like he understood the movie. Yeah, he's like Master Blaster. Yeah, Master Blaster. It. Great. You know, like there's that uh, there's that one part where a guy like just he crashes his car and then his like middle finger comes up out of the sand, <laughs> and he was laughing. Like so, it, Miller is incredible at that kind of visual storytelling, and and it's interesting that it the the story really doesn't need to have any kind of like real connections to what came before. It's like uh, Max in this is sort of like the other Mad Max, yeah. but not really. He like also lost his family, we presume, because of the flashbacks. But there's no, there's no hard uh, connective tissue. Um, Mike, had you seen any of the Mad Max movies before this movie? No, but I mean, like I've, I, you understand. I mean, like you get the gist of it. I, I think mm -hmm. that I passed a point um, in, I guess, living memory. Like you know all the references to the Mad Max. You know, pre it doesn't feel right to call them pre the first Mad Max movies. Um, the theme of uh, resource depletion, yeah. uh, general hopelessness, what happens when there are no heroes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you get the gist of it. And then, I mean, like the first, the first uh, like 30 minutes of Fury Road, we were talking about a little bit earlier. It's just everything is very hastily rendered. It throws it at you and you have to deal with it and you get the, you understand what's happening and some of Max's motivations at least. Yeah, it's also, I think we tend to forget that these movies came before The Terminator, they came before mm. 12 Monkeys, they came before like all of this kind of post-apocalyptic, The Matrix, this wave of movies that are sort of science fiction action that started to take over Hollywood through the 80s and 90s, and George Miller's movies essentially sort of built the template for it, even though they don't quite look and feel exactly like the others. Um, should we dive into the categories? Yeah, I would just say that the other thing that these movies do that I think is so impressive is that, and I think for Jason and I, we probably both responded to this, was it took dystopia and made it look like the present day. So you have guys walking mm -hmm. around in football pads, driving Dodge Chargers with like super engines, big rigs with like grates on them. Yeah. And, you know, everything is modded. Everything is like just modified. It's not like... Um, it's not even like a Back to the Future DeLorean kind of situation or any, there's no special hyperspace drive or anything like that. Everything is what would be remaining yeah. in this desert wasteland and how would people adapt these things to make them right. survival and, machines? And also how, how would that, how would those, the kind of, uh, the symbols that you see around you today, everyday stuff turn into uh, something iconic in a dystopian future where everything had fallen apart? What would those things, what would a hockey mask come to represent yeah. in the future, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to explore some of the physical tools that they create yeah. to destroy <laughs> each other. Uh, well, let's get right into the categories. We tipped towards most rewatchable scene. I'm going to throw three suggestions to you guys. Mm. They're basically more sequences than scenes. Mm -hmm. The first is the Warboys Come After Imperator Furiosa. 
where we are introduced to the Doof Warrior and Rictus Erectus and others <laughs> culminating in the sandstorm. Culminating in the sandstorm. No shots to the original Doof Warrior, Andres Biedrins. Um, <laughs> the second Wherever scene you are. is the bullet farmer pursues the war rig while it's mm. stuck in the mud and they chain up to the tree, which upon second watch, I was kind of blown away by. And then the third scene is sort of the return to the Citadel attack with the Polecats and the Vuvalini's valiant defense. Any other scenes you would recommend there? I didn't pick I, any of the, like, sort of slower dialogue-laden scenes. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, the Excite-like scenes. Yeah. The, the, okay. The, exploring, the canyon raid. Blowing the canyon. Yeah, and the first, the first moment where she's like, I'm going to drop the pod. And she's like, you know, if I yell fool, you go. Uh, that whole sequence and the I think it's a pretty much a if somebody was like well, why what makes this movie special and you wanted to show them how this is a guy who can take this wide open vista and put it into a rectangle and say okay like this is you here's where they are here's where yeah. this person is here's how long it takes this person to get here here's the stuff that's like the inciting incident it's all pure visual filmmaking and like a, and a level that you really only like 10 or 11 people have ever really been able to master. Yeah. Yeah. It's very John Fordish, you know, the, like you arrive at the Canyon and you're surrounded on right. all sides. Yes. Like it is very classic movie making stuff. Jason, any other scenes that you no, want to recommend? I, I mean, those are the, those are the ones, any of the, the big chase scenes that excite bike scene is off the charts. <laughs> and yeah, that's the, the spatial awareness that you have it's very underrated because when you watch a chaotic film, you're like, "I, where am I? Where is this happening at? What, what is, who, who's doing what to whom? Why did the camera flip around like that?" And that you never have that. And there's a million things going on in every single scene. Um, and he's cutting back and forth from the top of the truck to the to the cab of the truck to stuff that's happening outside. And you always understand where you are. It's incredible, Micah. Uh, I'm still partial over numerous rewatchings to the first time that Max quote unquote meets Furiosa Mm. just because like I, that entire sequence from when he wakes up face down in the sand and has his first flashback or has, you know, like has the, has the flashback and then attempts to eat off Nux's hand, like to (laughs) to free himself and then decides, you know what, instead I'm just going to take this sawed off shotgun and carry him to the war rig (laughs) And, like, also just the entire thing of, like, you know, you see him, he he's human, so he needs water. And then yeah. he's just like, you know, uh, can you please clip this chain off? And then the entire fight is, like, them the, the wives yanking him around like a pit bull on crack. Like, and then he's, <laughs> like, basically, like, him and Furiosa going at, it's one of my favorite action sequences ever. I, I feel like I love the way that that begins after the sandstorm because it's very playful from Miller because you see this what you think what I thought was like a mountain in yeah. the distance yeah. Yeah. but no it's a it's a close up of him buried in the sand yep and a, a really playful uh, movie making that from shot George is so Miller. good yeah, yeah it's like Charlie yeah. Chaplin movie yeah um, okay so what are your picks you're going you're going I'm going to go bike. Sight bike but I really do like the crows sequence okay the sequence out in the in the in the mud the mud return flats. to the citadel yeah. Uh, same, Jason? same. <sighs> yeah, I think you you have to go with like the 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 return to the Citadel with the pole cats where they're just jumping from vehicle to vehicle. I'm going uh the first the first thirty minutes because of what Jason said, which is that 
I think I had read a little bit about this movie before I went into it, but when I sat down, I did have the take your breath away feeling, mm-hmm. which movies very rarely can accomplish these days. And it's just, it's an, an incredible thing. Let's use this opportunity to talk a little bit about the story of this movie, which I think is a little hard to understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really seem fully connected to the previous three, even though it clearly is. And we were talking before we started recording about this grand mythology that George <laughs> Miller has clearly been plotting. Um, you know, the movie ends with an epilogue about the History Men, which is apparently a wizened group of older people telling the story of everything that happened with the fall of a Morton Joe. But, like, I, how would you know that if you didn't have the internet? Right. Yeah, is there it's, a- <laughs> it's definitely there. I mean, there's a, an entire graphic novel where they they – Render the entire backstory and they explain the history men. Um, but also I just like the, like the in joke of the, basically the long decade spanning game of ideological telephone. Mm. So that language becomes like increasingly infantile mm-hmm. and they put jokes about this, like on, on in different mediums. Like there's the 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 joke on Rick and Morty where they kind of had the Thunderdome episode, and oh, classic token to, millennial. I have, to, I, have to pull this, I have to mention. I have to mention this. Like after the boom boom, some adapted to the new truth, and some cho- chose to huddle near the boomy holes, clinging to the live the before four times. The Rady raids rotted them away, leaving only their love for the Virtus Virtusments on the Billy boards. But that's exactly what Thunderdome is like, by the way. You should actually see that movie because that is that's, that's actually. I was like, is he just reading? Exactly what Thunderdome is like. Yeah. There is something in all the dialogue in this movie and in all the Mad Max movies that is. Uh, Crypto biblical, but also yeah. kind of crypto uh, like troglodyte, you know, like mm-hmm. people not even speaking yeah. in full sentences. Mm-hmm. There's something obviously Tom Hardy's choices in this movie are monosyllabic. Uh, I don't the, the story itself. I think, you know what? Let's wait till what's what's uh, what's age the worst. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's, a, what's age the best? Uh, I think that the obvious recommendation is the action action sequences. We're only yeah. three years since this movie was released. I, I think what Chris said earlier is completely right. This is just like kind of pinnacle shit. Yeah. Um, my only other suggestion, and I'm open to others, was I just think everything that Charlize is doing in this movie is awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's really classical. And it's much more. She's really Mad Max in this movie. She's clearly the star. Mm-hmm. She's the hero. Mm-hmm. Every All the choices that she makes, she has the sort of the, the I don't know, the Joseph Campbell journey in a lot of ways. Um, what, what's age the best? Oh, I think it's, 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 uh, Charlize's performance by far. It's an iconic action movie performance. It's a, a character we've never really seen before. It's a version of the Mad Max archetype, the lone kind of uh one moral person, complicated but still mm-hmm. moral person out in this desert moral wasteland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that when we first meet Max in this movie, and they're doing those really quick flashbacks. And I, I you know, I'm not sure if in your research about the movie, it's it's come up because it's still unclear the the story that's supposed to apparently have occurred right in between Thunderdome and and Fury Road very much mirrors the plot of of Mad Max, which is that Max tries to save this woman and her child and and fails basically. Um, and that's I think what he is flashing back to. It's just that we never get that in the right. movie itself. Um, but it's so f- it's so kinetic and 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 just. Uh, channel surfy that we don't really ever like have an emotional investment in his arc, I think, as much as we do with Furiosa because 
of the lie that's at the center of her journey, you know, and right. then you find out that hope is more of an idea than it is an actual place. And I just, I always found that the way that she dealt with that, she would just, just for her collapse into the sand uh, in that, that sort of iconic shot. I mean, that's, that's something that they'll be playing in best in Oscar montages for like 30 years. Amazing. Oh, yeah. moment. What about you, Jason? Uh, I, I think it's the action for me. Um, although I do agree with everything that, Chris said, Charlie's is magnetic. I love the way she's introduced. Um, you just see this figure striding away from everything, you know, like walking away from you as if she's, she's about to walk away from this world that she's been inhabiting. And she, you just can't take your eyes off whatever it is she's doing. That, that crazy bionic arm, like everything about her is like, holy shit, <laughs> this is a badass. Yeah, Micah. I mean, like, also to go to to piggyback on the badass part, the fact that she like knees the metal grate that's on Tom Hardy's face, yeah, realizes it hurts, and then keeps doing it because <laughs> she's just like, I need to put this person down. She's a badass. She's yeah. a great badass action movie creation. Um, my pick is George Miller's thesis for this movie, which he crafted well, well, well before it was made, 10, 15, 20 years, and I'll read it very quickly for you. Miller's thesis was, could we make a film which is almost a continuous chase and how much can the audience apprehend from that story in terms of character, relationships, the world, the backstory, mm. and so on? Mm -hmm. And that the MacGuffin, the thing that everyone's in conflict over, should be human because to some extent or another, we're all commodities in the world. Now, that is one part highfalutin, one part genius movie making. You know, it's mm. just like, how can I just tell something visually while also larding it with all this ideology? And, you know, I think if you do the high-level film crit sociological analysis of the movie. It's about feminism. It's about mm -hmm. ecological collapse. It's about the tolls of war. It's about some of the things that Micah was talking about at the top of the show. It's kind of an amazing thing to fit into a movie like this that is basically about, like, excite bikes throwing bombs on a truck full of oil and women. Yeah, and, like, and, all, of the, and all of the dialogue is just the Kuleshov effect. It's just, like, cutting in between people, and that's just how you're supposed to get what people feel. Yeah, I mean, if you watch this movie with closed captioning on, you realize, like, 60% more plot. No, yeah. you do, because, like, if you're watching it, you're just like, but when you actually are reading it as well, you're like, oh, <laughs> that's why he's so mad. Like, it's like, there's yeah. a lot of revelations in the dialogue, but they're underneath a lot of exhaust sounds, you yes, know? Yes, for sure. Uh, in terms of what's aged the worst, it's only a three-year-old movie. So we don't have the typical, this isn't a wedding crasher situation where we're litigating the comedy. There's nothing mm. going on like that. I don't think that any of the action sequences have aged really at all. They, they're perfect as they were. Mm -hmm. The casting is great. The direction is great. The movie looks great. This is some maybe a, more of a nitpick than a what's aged the worst, but like what, what was Immortan Joe's plan here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What do you think he was at? <laughs> we know Isn't what he, he wanted. Is he supposed to be an avatar for like avarice? I don't know. Is this like, I, I don't think that there's supposed to be any logical motivation. Wait a second. What should his plan be? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, he, okay. So he's, he's in pursuit of these five, maybe six women, his mm. wives who are essentially broodmare. You know, mm -hmm. they're there to, yes. to help him procreate and, and, and he's build. trying to get one healthy son. Right. One healthy mm -hmm. son. Now is the, is it, because they are the most beautiful women in the Citadel? Is it because they are the only fertile women in the Citadel? Why are there not other women to whom he could turn that he needs to marshal all of the forces of the Citadel to go on a wild goose chase? Well, to be fair, this it has a little bit of Helen of Troy stuff going on because mm -hmm. his 
quote unquote brothers or whatever that, you know, like the guys who he, in the prequels, it's really just other generals. I think that he's banded together with, but, uh, those guys are like all of this over a family squabble. Like they don't right. want to be, they, they are kind of out on this, but they're also like war mad insane people. So they're just like, let's, let's go fire some bullets into the desert. I don't know. I think that his plan was, I need one healthy child, not to disparage them, but by the looks of it, the ladies who are just pumping mother's milk look like right. maybe they've seen better days. And he's got like this group of people, these group of women that he thinks he's got a shot at having a male heir that isn't rictus. Or the homie who just sits there with the telescope. You don't think Rictus is up, up, up to it? I had a baby brother! I had a little baby brother! And he was perfect! Perfect in every way! You don't think Rictus is up to leading yeah, the, think, leading not, the citadel? I'm not seeing like, <laughs> like, I don't know if you're, like, if you're guzzling breast milk and all you can really do is fire a Gatling gun. Yeah, I don't I, see Tony LaRusso levels of strategy. <laughs> 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 he's, he's not going lefty righty in the same <laughs> thing. You don't think? Oh, uh, you don't think Rictus inspired him? Oh, brother, he's perfect in I was hoping we were going to get to Rictus line readings. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't think Rictus is up to it. Do we know what his other Should brother? I start with doing the, that in the office, like any attempts, like Palo files a blog post. Like, I have a blog post, <laughs> and it is perfect in every way. <laughs> <laughs> that would freak out anybody who hadn't seen this movie. Do you think Rictus realizes that he's being passed over? No, I don't think he so. Yeah. Yeah. Rictus does not understand much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why is legacy important to a Morton Joe? Shouldn't he just be enjoying this time? Why get... is legacy important to any of these? Yeah, I mean, why is legacy important in general? Words? Riddle yeah. me that, Chris Ryan. Why is legacy important? To well, the Mad Max I franchise. In, in a time when, you know, there's probably not a lot of recorded history, in a time mm. when there's probably not a lot of uh, stability, the one thing that we've seen these these somewhat evil royal families do over the course of human history is that the most important thing is that we continue our reign, you know? I mean, the most important thing is that we have a male heir to continue this forward. I mean, why do why do... Why do any of us uh, do anything that we do? Because you want some part of you to live beyond your the boundaries of your natural life. Like, yeah. Why record a podcast? Why write on the internet? Why write a book? Why do anything? And Morton Joe, you this know, is does dangerous it, territory. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. Morton Joe has, uh, you know, does what not. What if a Morton Joe was right? My <laughs> all I'm saying is a Morton Joe. Uh, it's not hard to understand what his, you know, what is. It's a primal need to continue his to continue to live to live on beyond. Uh, the boundaries of his natural life and the natural lives of his idiot son. And also, I mean, like the the natural life is the only thing that you have when there's no verifiable recorded history. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to have the oral tradition. What would be the name of a Morton Joe's podcast? Oh, man. You um, are awaiting. <laughs> The Morton Joe Budden podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's keep it moving. Uh, We're going to do casting what ifs. Come to find out there's not a whole lot of casting what ifs. Obviously, this movie was conceived in the 80s, shortly after Beyond Thunderdome. So Mel Gibson was the presumptive Mad Max for this movie for a long time, all the way up until, I believe, 2003, which is when another round of funding was going to come through Mm -hmm. to get the movie going. And Mel Gibson ultimately declined to participate, in fact, because he became fascinated by the story that would become The Passion of the Christ. Oh, wow. The only other person that I could Speaking find— Speaking of legacies. Yeah. Well, that's a different podcast. Maybe the Lethal Weapon podcast we can relitigate. Um, I, Heath Ledger was considered before his death in 2008. 
which I think maybe let's use this as an opportunity to talk about Tom Hardy and what he is doing in this movie and whether someone like Heath would have been more well suited to it or whether it's right because the movie has Mad Max in the title. I don't really think of this as a movie that is about Max. Um, I don't like Tom Hardy's performance. Uh, I don't really get what he was going for. I feel like half of it, if not more, is dubbed. And Mm. also, quite famously, um, George Miller and Charlize Theron hated working with him. Yes. And he had to sort of make amends with them after the movie was released because he apparently was just so difficult on the set. I think a lot of people did leave the set of that movie saying to themselves that that's going to be a disaster. That's going to be like an all-time disaster. So it was only when I think Miller went away for more than a year to cut. And then he was like, Surprise, I made a masterpiece that people were like, what an honor to be a part of this incredible production. <laughs> but I think that like, there was initially a lot of like, uh, Francis Coppola went up the river and lost all the right. money that, that was going on with that. Yeah, I don't, J- Jason, do you, do you, how do you feel about what Tom Hardy's doing here? I think that Miller did an incredible job in making uh, a movie where the taciturn nature of his lead actor was not in any way a hindrance to the movie in general. Um, so I think it, I think it's a testament to the power of what Miller created that Hardy's um, performance doesn't take away from the movie, but it is like, it, it's the weirdest kind of half-assing that I've ever seen on a movie that that's, that is that good because it just seems like he's sleepwalking through a lot of stuff that happens. Yeah, he looks really cool. Yeah, he and looks he, cool. You know, he's right for the part. Yeah. And the sequences of him, like, strapped to the front of the car Great. and the face he's making and the physicality of the performance is awesome. But every time he talks, I'm like, what the fuck? What is yeah. he doing? Uh, you. I don't know. Uh, Micah, you're, I think you're more into Tom Hardy. No, I was, I, was, I was into... The thing is that, like, I'm re-watching it again last night. I think it kind of became clearer than it had ever been that he has about five different voices in this movie. Of course, because like because they were dubbed after the yeah. fact. But I don't know. I think that his, you know, grunting in the affirmative and the negative kind of suits the role in a way. I I also am just like drawn back to well, the thing that kind of defines his performance for me is the one where he's having he falls asleep in the passenger seat of the war rig and then has a nightmare and wakes up trying to punch somebody. Mm. It's just like I've he there are a bunch of little small moments like that that I just remember vividly and love deeply. <laughs> I think he gets the physicality of the role right. Yeah. Um I think you know in the previous Mad Max movies there is not a tremendous amount of dialogue from Max. So it's I don't think he was necessarily betraying the legacy of the Mel Gibson part so much. At, and I, I, in so much as like, he just didn't have, all he had to do was not screw up the dialogue scenes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is the devil's bargain with Tom Hardy is that you get a guy who essentially is a combination of like Sean Connery and Lawrence Olivier. And then he kind of like wants to act like Jim Carrey. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he just makes these weird choices and you're like, wait, like, you have all the tools, man. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you could just be James Bond and also an Oscar-winning actor, and you want to do weird Daffy Duck voices? And that's being, like, shown again in all this Al Capone stuff. You know, I, like, I, feel like, I feel like something about playing Bane broke him. So, uh, just something. It's, it's always the voice with him now. I guess you could say it always was, but it's the Bane voice... Uh, <laughs> 
as it's defi- so, it defines Hardy in a strange way. Yeah, I I just it, I think about all the time now. Just perhaps he's wondering why you would shoot a man before throwing <laughs> him out of a plane. That's pretty good. Yeah, that is good. That's Thank good. You. That Here's really challenges thing, Robert Mays' <laughs> Bane, which is a legendary Bane. Hardy in Inception, though. It's just you watch that and you're like, oh, that guy's gonna be a movie star for 25 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and then he just basically was like, no, that was just one voice that I do. Right. That was just like, I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. In uh, 2014, I actually wrote about Tom Hardy's voice and the the accents he chose for the website Grayland.com, and uh, I was writing about Gangster Squad, and in Gangster Squad, he's doing like a cartoon cat, you know, yeah. like that's his choice, mm-hmm. and in the drop, he's doing. Uh, guy who works in the Brooklyn pork store and in, in this movie I don't I don't know what the the slick comparison is what's the uh what, what about what would you say his voice in lock is um hmm That's I mean a, I think it's pretty it's like Eastern European immigrant but been in London for a long time. Yeah he, that that's a movie where he has to talk for 90 minutes essentially. Yeah. Sure he's like uh Luka Modric, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> that was really flip plane of the room there. Um, okay, uh, let's go to the Dion Waiters Award. I have a couple of recommendations, but I want to know what you guys think. Uh, Nathan Jones as Rictus Erectus. Where you going, uh, he, he was really going for it. Yeah. The, the line readings that you guys showed us a few minutes ago, our expert. Um, I think this is kind of a flex performance from Zoe Kravitz who I don't mm. think we had quite as much of a relationship to yeah. before this movie came mm-hmm. along. Certainly uh, Hugh Keen's Keys Burn as Immortan Joe. Anybody else? Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Do For Air. I'm going to go with Do For Air, played by Oda, uh, this dude from New Zealand who is a musician, writer, and a painter, and all these other things. He's a polyglot, apparently beat... Hugh Jackman for a Tony Award. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> um, just because it's in this landscape of nothing but really dust and brown and chrome and neutral colors and monotone voices and exhaust, he's wearing this red pajama suit and playing a flaming double neck guitar. Like, it's he's impossible not to look at. I remember, my favorite part, there's one time where he seems to be sleeping in, like, a hammock yeah. of guitar oh, straps. Yeah. And then just, like, wakes up and immediately goes into his riff. <laughs> yeah. This guy's such a professional. It's like G. Smith coming yeah. out of a commercial break. The guy... <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, they... The guy that was uh, doing... Uh, Iota was... There's an interview that you can read about it on... Uh, on noisy, where he was just talking about he beat in the you're strap say like iota dot org. No, <laughs> he, he just be like that was probably the truest to what his experience was on set because he they just strap him in after he they he'd be there at six in the morning. He put on the makeup and everything, and then he'd just be in the harnesses for eight hours. <laughs> so he would just be playing like noodling ACDC songs to himself, and then eventually he would just start banging banging out riffs nonsensical shit just because he was just like the, the being animated was the most important part. What's the thinking on the Doof Warrior? Is it I, like we need I, an announcement of destruction? I, 
It's yeah. it, the do for is my Dion Waiters award winner, but also I kind of feel like it's the thing that aged the worst. Oh wow! Mm. It's a, it's because the, rock is dead. Because <laughs> rock is because rock is dead, and that Slipknot style of of weird like do yeah. warrior new metal is also dead. But also because it's like that thing of uh, did you need it? Did you really need it? Like, is that? It, it just strikes me as you the thing have that's died in like the first yeah. Sheet chase. It's a little bit. You know, like energy is so important in this world without resources, but also like let's make sure the the doof warrior has like two mountainous stacks of a hundred watt amps so that <laughs> what? Like why? Yeah, yeah. It's, people are like, literally drinking breast milk yeah. and dying. It's just like <laughs> but I we, got like this new PV head yeah. from a stack. Yeah, it's turn up, I, yeah, can you turn up the mounters? I can't hear yeah, myself over it. Like if you this, were, is, <laughs> this is the pedal that Kim failed you because <laughs> know, man. I, I just think that if you like, I understand the need to have the battle drums, so to speak, for the advancing sure. army, and like to basically drums. ramp it up to its logical extreme. But yeah, I mean, like it definitely is the most wasteful and ridiculous <laughs> part of the movie. But I love it. Sure. Yeah, it's weird that the English language doesn't quite make it through the wasteland, but like <laughs> drop D guitar playing. Right, right. <laughs> We've got a total, a complete understanding of late. Oh, it's metal, but I can't speak English anymore. Okay, so the Dion Waiters Award goes to the Doof Warrior. <laughs> Doof Warrior. Uh, the Joey Pants Award. For that guy? Which I kind of don't really understand what it is, but I'll try to remember what it is. It's, it's essentially about somebody who we didn't know, quite know who they were, and then they emerged as somebody that we would remember, like Joey Pantoliano. I guess mm. this is Zoe, right? So yeah. I wrote Riley Keough. Oh, yeah, that's true. Also. I was not really super familiar with the granddaughter of Elvis Presley. This is one year before the girlfriend experienced the TV show, and she's kind of gone on to be yep. a pretty well-known actress at this stage. Um, anybody else? Who's the little guy in the in the in the basket with the periscope? That mm. guy? Oh, okay. Go on anything? Uh, 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 he didn't move. He didn't. Corpus he, Colossus. Is that his name? <laughs> yeah, Corpus Colossus. No, he's not in any work. Does he have like a Netflix show coming out I, soon? I know. I, I not so far as I know. No. Okay. Ozark yeah. season two. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, I, I should just say, uh, Morton Joe has another son from the video game adaption of this movie named Scabrous Scrotus. <laughs> Scabrous Scrotus. Did you play the video game? I uh, yeah, it's bad. How, okay. how many yeah, baby books like an... do you think he had to go through to get to that name? <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> uh, we have a new category that I'm going to introduce to you guys. The name of this category is called "What is the thing Bill would say on this podcast that would make us all uncomfortable?" Considering he's not here. Um, <laughs> This is in the lineage of uh, Bill imitating Forrest Gump furiously um, ejaculating. Uh, it's also in the lineage of uh, the Wedding Crashers sex scenes and Bill locking eyes with Chris while he discusses them. Chris, <laughs> while, he dis while he discussed a hand job for five minutes? Yeah. That's right. Chris, what is the thing Bill would say that would make us uncomfortable if you were here? Uh, why am I the person who has to do this? Uh, I think that, I think it would none of the, 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 I don't feel safe. I think it would it. probably be something along the lines of like, what is the, uh, what, what do we think of the virility of war boys? You know, like what right. is it, it, do those guys fuck what's <laughs> up with the spray paint? Is that like a nitrous hit? You know, right. and is the love affair between Riley Keough and Nicholas Holt like a long-term viable thing? 
Uh, I don't think the latter question would have made me uncomfortable, but uh, do the war boys fuck is a good headline. Yeah, Anything they, you guys want to add to that? That also sounds like something Mal would say, too. That's so. true. That's yeah. true. Uh, some, maybe something about Immortan Joe and whether he can whether he can fuck without the gas mask. Mm. Like, is mm. he getting enough oxygen into his system, <laughs> into his extremities to really keep it going? Uh, mm-hmm. What do we think about that? Micah, I don't even want you to speak for the sake of... Um, the future of this company. So <laughs> we're going to take this opportunity to get a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Lisa. A quality night's sleep helps you recover from distractions faster, prevents burnout, makes better decisions, improve your memory, and overall make fewer mistakes. It's not marketing, it's science. To design a better mattress, Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. That's more than 26,000 mattresses and counting. Lisa strives to leave the world better than they found it, but that doesn't stop with mattress donations. Together with the Arbor Day Foundation, Lisa plants one tree for every mattress they sell and are committed to planting one million trees by 2025. I am a user of a Lisa mattress. In fact, I slept on one last night and it was lovely, very comfortable. So don't miss these summer savings. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com backslash rewatchables. That's lisa.com slash rewatchables for $160 off. Lisa, a better place to sleep. Welcome back to the Rewatchables, Mad Max Fury Road. We've just finished interrogating some of the sexual proclivities of this movie's villain, Immortan Joe. Let's go to half-assed internet research, of which there is a ton. Mm. And I I don't want to go too far with this, but I'll read a few things. We can talk about them. Fury Road was in development hell for many years, with pre-production starting as early as 1997. Attempts to shoot the film in 2001 and 2003 were delayed due to the September 11th attacks and the Iraq War. In 2007, after focusing on Happy Feet, which you guys may know is a a animated Penguin movie that George Miller also made. He also made the movie Babe and Babe Pig in the City. Incredible IMDb from George Miller. (laughs) Truly. And Lorenzo's Oil. Yes, one of the most fascinating filmmakers in the history of movies. Um, So he returned to it in 2007, briefly considered producing it as a computer animated film, but abandoned it in favor of live action. I think we all agree that that was a very good Good choice. choice. Especially Mm -hmm. because I don't watch cartoons. Um. You know, you. Micah was just talking about uh, Iota, the Australian artist and musician whose real name is Sean Hape. In an interview with Vice, he said the guitar weighed 132 pounds and shot real gas-powered flames, which he controlled using the whammy bar. I wonder if Vice verified that. <laughs> wow. I would, I, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I'd love a fact check on that. true. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was shot in sequence. Holding a Rabinho-sized That's guitar. interesting. That's really interesting. For those of you who don't know, shooting yeah. a sequence essentially means you start on page one of the script and you shoot all the way through in that order. Wow. And that's very surprising given that the sequences are so complex and yeah. you imagine that like, I don't know, it was, was Charlize just on set every day? Yeah. I mean, she shows up, what, 15, 20 minutes into the movie yeah. after they've captured him and he's yep. escaped. Yeah. So I think I think so, probably. Okay. Um, principal photography began on the 26th of June in Namibia. It also happened in Potts Hill and Penrith Lakes in western Sydney. In October 2012, The Hollywood Reporter reported that Warner Brothers sent an executive to keep their production on track. The filming eventually wrapped on the 17th of December 2012 and lasted for 120 days. That's a long shoot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really long. 
Regarding the look of the film, director George Miller laid down two stipulations for the production to follow. Firstly, the cinematography would be as colorful as possible in order to differentiate the film from other post-apocalyptic movies, which typically have bleak, desaturated colors. During pre-production, the initial concept was for a black-and-white film. However, producers strongly advised against this as they believed it would deter audiences. Secondly, the art direction would be as beautiful as possible, as Miller reasoned that people living in the post-apocalypse would try to find whatever scraps of beauty they could in their meager environment. I don't know if you nailed the second one. I wouldn't call this a beautiful movie. No, I don't think so either. Or one rich with interior design. Mm. Do you agree? Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, I do agree. But I mean, the I, rows like, of the, cabbage are pretty cool. Yeah, the rows like that, of yeah. cabbage and and the the uh, now defunct green green place was where the people were walking on stilts was an interesting set piece. But I yeah, mean, stuff, of that, I mean, as far as, as the uh, desaturation goes, if you watch those uh, clips on YouTube of of them doing the car sequences without any visual effects treatment. Uh, you can see that like they're shooting in like these just like kind of like overcast days and yeah. kind of shabby deserts. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're they're fine, but it's like the sky is kind of like off white and the rocks are kind of like a light brown. And then when you throw them through the, the right. computer, like it really they really make everything have such incredible contrast. Yeah. John Seal, the great cinematographer mm-hmm. who shot um, many of George Miller's films. He also shot The English Patient. He shot The Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, he was also, I believe, in his 70s and came out of retirement to make this movie. Damn. At George Miller's behest. Uh, the writer and feminist Eve Ensler, who created famously the Vagina Monologues, was consulted to enhance the portrayal of female characters in this movie. Oh. Huh. Which is, I thought, interesting. Um, Apex Mountain. Mm-hmm. Wow. George Miller. Uh, no, Happy Feet was easily better. <laughs> you know, Babe is really good. Babe is re- Babe and Babe Two are, are excellent. They're very movies. good movies. And you know, we're, we're also talking Mad Max, Road Warrior. Yeah, and, I think, and yeah. Uh, Beyond Thunderdome. I think Road Warrior is is his best film, and in some ways, laid out this carpet for him to become one of the sort of the Spielbergian directors where he could take action, mm. he could do drama, he could do all these different things. And he obviously just kind of followed his own path. And he did this this movie, Lorenzo's Oil, I think, after Thunderdome. That was his foray into just kind of prestige drama. It was about Susan Sarandon and Nicholas, Nick Nolte trying to cure their kids' yeah. cancer? Yeah, I cancer. Really I think it's an undefined or disease. Or undefined disease. Mm. Uh, but it, was, it drew heavily from his experience as a doctor himself. And, you know... It, it, it was like a fine tearjerker, but he never really like worked at the volume that you need to work at to really get yourself in the mix like that. So I would say probably Road Warrior is Miller's apex for me. Okay. Tom Hardy? This is really complicated. Is, is this the best movie Tom Hardy has ever been in? Ooh, um... <sighs> Should, sh- shall we call back to the Inception podcast? The infamous Inception yeah. podcast. <laughs> Is it the best movie Tom Hardy? I bet you guys think it is. Wow. Classic classic take from a real taboo head. I think that Inception is probably, I rate it a little higher. I would would actually say that Inception is is better than Fury Road in terms of movies that Tom Hardy's starred in. Or at least been in. Yeah, Yeah, been in. Yeah. 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 I mean, Uh, mean, like, because I I really do love that Ames character. Yeah. We've also got Dunkirk. Uh-huh. We've mm-hmm. got the Revenant. Uh-huh. I think my pick is might be Warrior. 
which is a movie I really oh, love. That was what I was going to say is his Apex Mountain. Warrior, that's, yeah. the, that's the best he's ever been. Yeah. As a performer, maybe not in terms of like his fame yes. and his awareness. Yeah, but, yeah. That's but my favorite version of he's him. He's really, really great in Warrior. And it's kind of like Tommy Conlon is kind of a, a better version of Max, you know, where he's kind of doesn't speak very much. It's a very physical performance. That being said, can you guys, when we're, at, we're asked, this is like the fifth question in here, but can you guys think of anybody else you would rather seen have seen played Max? Realistically, well, I raised the Heath Ledger thing because I thought that would have yeah. been cool. And and yeah. Statham, no, no, okay. no, 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 no. Okay, I, it's, no. I've I too too comicky. Yeah, okay. no, yeah. I I I can't think of. I honestly don't think I would pick anybody else over Tom Hardy for this role. What about Charlize? Okay, is what it about Charlize Charlize's Apex as, no. no, no. I'm gonna say yes. Wow. Over, over winning over the Monster, Oscar for Monster. Yeah, over Monster, over the over her collaborations with Jason Reitman. Over a million ways to die in the West. Uh-huh. Yeah. Famously, a good tidbit about this movie, you know, she shaved her head for this movie, yeah. so she had to wear a wig when she was making A Million Ways to Die in the West, the Seth MacFarlane that Western was the, yeah, comedy. Yeah, that was the only problem with A Million Days to <laughs> That was, <laughs> that was <laughs> wig. That's what held it back. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think this, I think Monster is, for me, her apex mountain. George Miller it's, is an interesting question. I, I do think this is his apex mountain, even though I agree that The Road Warrior is a better film. In terms of story and characters and there being uh, – and the pacing. But I think t- for me, uh, Fury Road is – as an achievement, it's almost unparalleled. Is mm-hmm. that kind of – to make that kind of movie in this era, you know what I mean? I just – where everything is – so CG, like the balance between CG and practical effects is like almost completely CG, um, where you could really feel the physics of what was happening, where, I, listen, Mad Max is is a established IP, but it's not, this is the age of, of Marvel and comic movies, and it's not, it's not something you would put up there with, with, you know, Iron Man and stuff and the Avengers. Um, and for that movie to come out after all, all the struggles to get it made and for it to be that good, like really for me, a top five action film all time, top five, like mm-hmm. it's totally watchable at any point that you turn it on. If it happens to be on and you see it, it started, you'll just watch it because there's always something that's going to happen next and it grabs you and doesn't let go in a way that, um, you know, maybe The Fugitive is a movie that the only other movie I can think of where once it starts, that's it, you're in. You can't stop yeah. watching it. Um, you feel propelled by yeah. Him. So I think I think it for me it is his apex mountain because it's a singular achievement in movie making. It's incredible. Apex Mountain, the Do Fourier. Oof. Yeah. Easily, easily, easily. Okay. Who else? Would this movie have been better with Danny Trejo, Steve Buscemi, or Michael K. Williams, Micah? Michael K. Williams, because I would have liked yeah. liked to have seen at least you have Zoe Kravitz, but in addition, somebody who's. Somebody else, somebody else yeah. of color would have yeah. been nice. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no war boys of color. What no. if Buscemi had played a Morton Joe? <laughs> <laughs> are we his? Are we his friend? Splendid. <laughs> <laughs> well, are we sure that a Morton Joe doesn't sound like Steve Buscemi without know. the voice modulator? Yeah. I mean, he could uh, if he played it like uh, like his character in Fargo after he gets shot in the face. You know, that kind of voice? I think that would help. That's kind of what, you know, Toe Cutter from the original Mad Max, who was played by Hugh Keyes-Byrne, who plays a Morton Joe, kind of sounds like 
that kind of guy, yeah. just with an Australian accent. Yeah. Um, the Mark Ruffalo They Knew Overacting Award. Uh, I wrote down everyone. I, yeah, yeah, I would go Rictus in this okay, one. Rictus. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, the, the uh, I had a I had a baby brother. He's perfect in every way. Is yeah, such a good <laughs> I think yeah. Also, the backseat, all of the wives after Rosie Huntington Whitley died. You know, like the the mm. that was where I I can't imagine that the direction was anything other than act really sad. Yeah, just you know, one thing that is kind of exciting about this movie, but also makes it different is it's not all shot in 24 frames per second. It's, it's it's sped up a lot. Yeah. And so it feels like a movie from the 1930s a lot of the time. It's sort of like um, the old-fashioned version of listening to a podcast at 2X. You know, it's kind of moving faster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of fucks with a lot of the performances because it just seems more cartoony. Yeah. You yeah. know, and yeah. That, maybe that's a good thing. It kind of helps with the pacing and the action that you're supposed to feel this adrenaline that is moving at all times. The but, only person I feel like doesn't get affected by that is Charlize. Yes, she looks very, very languid, yeah. and she looks very like all of her movements seem incredibly graceful. Whereas Tom Hardy is just like a Three Stooges character. Yes, right. mm. he, he looks like Buster Keaton at yeah. times. I, um, I don't believe that uh, this is the case, but I'd like to uh, nominate also the, the that scene where the bullet farmer runs over one of the Vuvulinis. Uh, at the end and makes like what can only be described as a strange like orgasm face. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. Uh, oh, it's for, the gas town guy. The, ga- the it was the gas town. Yeah, yeah, the gas town guy. Because uh, the bullet farmer right, gets, the, gets excuse blinded, me, right? Yeah. The gas town gentleman, General Gas Town, it runs over the uh, the sniper of Ovalini, who's oh, like, oh yeah, 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 and then yeah. he makes a face that is like that is the uh, visual representation of they knew. Yeah. Also, I I just feel like it needs to be mentioned somewhere in here that. He is throughout his appearances on screen regularly just touching his nipples. You know, just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe Bill should have been on this podcast. I know. Uh, you know, we, well, you can tip into best quote a little bit with um, talking about the bullet farmer because I think I am the scales of justice. Yeah, you want to finish that line? No, I'm not going to finish it. Conductor of the Choir of Death. Yeah. <laughs> sing Brother Heckler. Sing Brother Koch. Um, that's that's good writing yeah. right there. Oh goodness. Uh, you know, th- there are a lot there are a lot of Immortan Joe. I think almost everything he says is is this sort of biblical yeah. phraseology. Do not, my friends, become addicted to water. It will take hold of you and you will resent its absence. Um I don't know. Max says a few things that are there's a there's kinda, a there's a money one we're missing though. Good. Oh, what a day. Yes. Oh, what a oh, day. What a day. What, and we haven't really talked about Nicholas Holt. Go ahead. Speak your truth. Child actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, you know, famously was in it about a boy and was, mm-hmm. everybody was just like, what a prodigy. Here, here comes this guy. And I think has that, has like this interesting, most of his movies since then, like the X-Men movies he's done and just uh, makes some, what is that, Drake Dormus movies? Doremus. Doremus movies. Yeah, he's like, he always got this kind of like, remove like there's something mm. like he's like a very good actor but there seems to be something a little bit vacant behind his eyes where like the real him is sort of holding back and then this movie he really like just like i dare say is like just like completely like i get to be myself he goes for it yeah, yeah. uh i don't think this is actually what he's like as much as he's just so physical he's so emotional he's basically screaming for the entire movie he's essentially an emotional infant you know he's uh he goes from being this kind of uh, suicidal co- they, they call them comma crazies and you know he wants to die and go to Valhalla to to tr- to finding something bigger than that to, to live for 
It's a very interesting character, but yeah, that that line is the one that I think coming out of the trailer, everybody was just like going to start saying that all the time now. Yeah, and also he's a pretty boy, and he mm. uglifies himself in this yeah. movie. Yeah, you know, he's, so. there's no, so. it's not vain, and there's something. And also, I think "I live, I die, I live again" is also kind of his his other signature yeah. phrase from the movie. I think that also I I just I think my favorite line from the movie that is not one of the bigger ones. I guess the subversive pick would be when they're rolling into where the green place is supposed to be, and there's like the naked woman on the on the oil yeah. rig thing and he's just like Mm-mm, that's bait <laughs> that is that is a good line I kind of wish Max was more like that in yeah. the movie I wish it was a little bit more jokey um, there's, one, there's one very fun free, um, sort of interaction between Nux and Slit too when they're driving and they first see a Morton Joe and Nux says he looked at me he looked yeah, right he at looked- me and Slit says he looked at your blood bag and Nux says he turned his head he looked me straight in the eye and Slit says he was scanning the horizon and then Nux says, no, I am awaited. I am awaited in Valhalla. And it's a really good way to kind of show us this weird obsessive cult that Immortan Joe has created. Like, it's actually good, weird, good character building for yeah. a, a monstrous war boy. Uh-huh. I don't know. Nicholas Holt's very good in this movie. The one other line that I thought I'd throw out there, which is not really like an Aaron Sorkin dialogue line, but is really good, is that moment when <laughs> um, they've got four bullets left in the rifle and he shoots off a couple and then she takes it. And uses his shoulder yeah. as a balance, and then she's don't like, breathe. "Don't breathe." Yeah, yeah. I, and I love the look he kind of gives back, and he's just like, "All right, you know." Oh, I was gonna say, uh, then who killed the world is also just a great hammerline, and really yeah. underlines the theme of the entire film, really. Which is, "Hey, dudes, you fucking up." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are actually a lot of those. Furios also yeah. says, "Out here, everything hurts." Yeah, you know, there's a few. I don't know, apocalyptic lines, I guess. Um, let's pick some nits. We, I literally wrote down, did Immortan Joe have a point? And I think you might have already raised that, Chris, <laughs> as a joke. <laughs> I also raised his Tom Hardy's voice completely dubbed in this movie. Uh, I think I think completely. Maybe multiple times. Harsh, but yeah, yeah. certainly certainly many times. It's like the equivalent of, uh, remember back when like you would make tapes off of the radio, but if you were out of tapes, you would just yeah. tape over stuff? Yeah. And then it would just kind of be like, <laughs> like, like this, like the loss you would get on your mixtapes. That's like the way they recorded his, his voiceover. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean like the, there's the, when he says that's my head at the beginning, when he's, when they shoot the harpoon past him, when he's on the, on the hood of the car, that's somebody else's voice. Like when, they're going back towards the Citadel and he sees his car slip driving his car and he's just like, that's mine. That's somebody else's voice. There's just so many places you could just pick out like that's dubbed. Yeah. If the green place were real, why would more people not know about it? It's great. They all have podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have the important Joe button podcast. <laughs> you know, they don't, it's no smartphones. You know? Damn. You don't even know what tomorrow's weather is going to be like. It do does you? seem like, so we're supposed to think that this is essentially the outback, right? Yeah, yeah. it's sure. And there's, and there's like a, like a thousand people, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like, so the, the information would, there wouldn't be a lot of stuff going on no. in terms of like information sharing. Honestly, I don't know. Maybe everybody was also like super into Spotify. She's know? like, it's a it's a hard <laughs> night's drive to get there. Mm-hmm. That seems like something that somebody would have scouted out and been like, mm-hmm. actually, there's not there anymore. 
I agree. Yeah. I agree. There's just not enough people that, that yeah. you know, it, it's maybe not that useful to explore the depths of the <laughs> narrative story arc of this movie, but uh, it occurred to me <laughs> that if there actually was a place to go where there was salvation, people would try to go there. Yeah. They would get around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably unanswerable questions. Will there be a sequel? There was <sighs> supposed to be a sequel. And then, and people talked about it. I believe Charlize and Tom Hardy are both signed up for it. And George Miller signed up for it. George Miller... It was in litigation with Warner Brothers over a undisclosed sum of money. I don't think it's going to happen. George Miller's 73 years old now. Mm. Maybe maybe it will. Do you want one? I would love one. I would absolutely love a sequel to this movie. IP lives forever. Would you let somebody else direct it if it came to that? I mean, I don't think we have any choice but to let someone else direct it. I think that will happen whether we want it to or not. Yeah, but would you if 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 George Miller like let's say it happens in like eight years? Um, I it can't possibly be as good. It just can't. I just who do you want to make it? It depends because up until Fury Road, the first three movies didn't have the frenetic pace and the frenetic editing style so you could say like um you know somebody like uh michaud could try it or somebody like jeremy saulnier could try it or somebody like david mckenzie could try it or there's all sorts of people who could give it a shot michelle mclaren could make it but it now i don't know how you speak in this cinematic language other if unless you're george miller i don't know how you make something that's like frame rate quick cutting practical effects shit's exploding all this stuff and obviously is a guy who is like martin or tolkien which is like he's been thinking about the mythology and the history of this world for most of his adult life i mean his first feature film was mad max yeah so it's like this is he began with this yeah one more unanswerable question probably did tom hardy's character leave the citadel because we see him shrinking right. away at the end of the movie yeah. into the crowd. But is that in an effort to become anonymous again? Is that in an effort to go find something else somewhere else that we have never seen or heard about? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess it's kind of he's never really gotten over that weird tragic hero thing of I everything that is attached to me dies. Mm. So I guess I mean I, I I would I would assume that he's leaving just to go wander the wasteland again, but Yeah, I think he's Ethan from the searchers. I just don't think he's right for society. I think he's yeah. like I have to go find my next adventure. I can't just like sit here and farm with you guys and Yeah. Like the normalcy of life I don't think he's yeah. capable of. He's more of a bullet farmer, you might say. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, one thing I want to just get your thoughts on is mm-hmm. what do you guys think is the best action movie of the decade? I have, I have a couple of nominations okay. for you guys. This, I'll mm-hmm. just throw them out there and you guys vote. Okay. Sure. Okay, so we've got Fury Road, Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, man. Good one. Wow. Good one. John Wick. Okay. Okay. And the Raid movies. Yeah, I'm good. Shit. Okay. I, uh, I recently rewatched the first Raid movie and... Had forgotten really what a nonstop adrenaline rush that freaking movie is. I mean, like it's brutal, a brutal movie, and also brutal. like a, a a brilliant uh take on the anabasis kind of like structure where it's like now you're not you're behind enemy lines in a building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Film. I just I agree with all I, those. I think the problem with the, the raid movies is that like the purity level might be high. 
for anybody who's not like a real like expert addict to this yeah. stuff. Yeah. It, it just like it, you might not it's not a party drug. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh and it, in some ways the first Wick movie is like that too Kinda in like terms that. of like you gotta really have an appetite for guys getting shot close range in the face and that yeah. for that. My vote would be Wick, but I'll throw a couple more yeah. ideas at you. One, the Rogue Nation Fallout diptych, mm. uh, which I think mm. is pretty effective as action movies go. The other one maybe Skyfall. Wow, hmm. interesting. Hmm. Some pretty great action sequences. I, there's some pretty awesome great stuff action show. sequences, but I mean, like, by and large, that's lifestyle porn and, <laughs> and Javier, <laughs> Javier Bardem doing that really long take, yeah. like, is the thing that I remember most from I would movie. be interested to see a poll of this versus Wick. Maybe we'll hmm. drop that on social media. I, I, hmm. think the Ra- I think the Raid movies is, like, what Wick wants to be, even though Wick is incredible. I agree with you secretly, but, yeah. you know, you and I are not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Who won the movie? Last category. Jason? Uh, Charlize. I agree. Is there another answer that isn't Charlize? <laughs> I mean, it, it's, potentially it's George Miller. It's yeah. the, it's the, uh, okay. the capper yeah. on a fascinating career. I don't think it's Tom Hardy. I don't think it's Rick Desiractus, though shout out to Nathan Jones for wonderful <laughs> performance. I don't think it's the Doof Warrior. I don't think it's Riley Keough or Zoe Kravitz mm-hmm. or Abby Lee or Rosie Huntington-Whiteley or... Any of the other, maybe, maybe the, maybe the bullet farmer. Did he win? <laughs> <laughs> no? it's, Char- it's Charlie's. It's, it's yeah. Charlie's. Okay. Charlie's their own guys. This is great. Thank you so much. Mad Max Fury Road. One of the greatest action movies of all time. This has been the rewatchables. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you again for listening to The Rewatchables. Today's episode was brought to you by Lisa. A quality night's sleep helps you prevent burnout, make better decisions, and improve your memory. To design a better mattress, Lisa leveraged 30-plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. And together with the Arbor Day Foundation, Lisa plants one tree for every mattress sold. Don't miss these summer savings. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com backslash rewatchables.